Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever and wherever it is that you are listening to us. We want to thank you in advance. We as fans have always appreciated your input as fellow fans. When you're happy, we're happy. When you're upset, we are too. But sometimes we're just a little bit more honest. We are the Bastards of Boston Baseball, and you can find us on Twitter at Bastards underscore Boston. I am your host, Charlie Smith, coming to you from Providence, Rhode Island. You can find me on Twitter at Smith underscore MLB. Our other host this evening is Terry Cushman, coming to us from Myrtle Beach in South Carolina by way of Windham, Maine, and he can be found on Twitter at Cushman MLB. Terry, how are you doing? A little bit bummed we didn't get a night game. The uh, Yankees-Cleveland game got rained out, but they said a couple of days ago it would probably be a long shot, so uh, didn't get that. The uh, Astros-Mariners game was was pretty exciting earlier. Close game, we'll get into that. But uh, it's been a fun postseason so far. Pretty compelling and uh, not uh, not a lot of games that, that were too one-sided. Agreed. Absolutely. And uh, with that first series that we have, you already mentioned. So let's let's knock that one out right now. Uh, we only have one game so far between the Guardians and the Yankees. And uh, let's just say it didn't go the way that any Red Sox fan would have wanted, even though we did start with the lead. We lost 4-1. Garrett Cole on the bump. What was your big takeaway from that game? Well, Cleveland started out with a one Oh, lead uh, Stephen Kwan hit that solo and kind of knew it wouldn't really be enough. You, you were going to have to put up at least one or two more, and uh, didn't didn't quite get there. And also, I think we love to see Garrett Cole cry. I was I tweeted out I'd I'd love to see him ugly cry tonight, whether they just get to him or whether it's the umpires that do it. And uh, he was pretty locked in, and it was a solid uh, performance from him. You know, that, that's why he's, he's getting paid that money. I, I don't think he quite lived up to it in the regular season, but, but the postseason can make up for that. And, uh, you know, pretty, pretty close game, but a uh, couple of home runs. Uh, uh, I think it was, that was the Rizzo, yeah, the Rizzo game kind of, Put it out of reach and um, in the hole. Cleveland really needed to to bank a non Bieber or non McKenzie win. Like if you're going to win the series, would have been a good one to do and and to try to catch the Yankees cold maybe from from that layoff. Didn't yeah. Do no, I'm with you 100. I think this is a must win game for for Cleveland here, and the Guardians are now obviously naturally in the hole down 1-0. Going up 1-0 in the third inning was huge for them. And go figure, Harrison Bader, what an opportunity. What a time to hit your first home run as a Yankee. Didn't hit one during the regular season. Spent some time on the IL before coming off. Was a pretty much non-factor this year. Hit a little over 200 after coming over from St. Louis. Just wasn't really the answer. The Yankees did not hit on most of their trades. Bader was injured. Benintendi went on the IL. They traded away someone to L.A. They traded away their strikeout machine, Joey Gallo, who found some inner solace and peace in L.A., was actually doing some work. So it just kind of felt like, even pitching-wise, they just didn't get anything going. So Bader with the solo shot, and then later on that evening, uh, former Red Sox prospect Anthony Rizzo with a two-run home run 
putting that game out of reach, and that was all she wrote. Uh, some, some takeaways from this game. Yankees bullpen allowed two hits and almost three innings of work. One strikeout just got the job done. That key play, though, for me was that Rizzo two-run homer. That's, that was the nail in the coffin for them. Cleveland just looked lethargic. They weren't hitting. And when you only put up one run against some guy, uh, or not some guy, excuse me, like Garrett Cole, you're not going to win. You need you need to hit him early. Need him. You need to hit him hard. And uh, one run on six hits, that's not going to get it done. So Cleveland finds themselves in a unique circumstance. Uh, game two starters. Who do we have? Shane Bieber versus Nestor Cortez. That's a great matchup. That is an amazing matchup right there. Who do you have going and winning that game? Well, I mean, I picked the Guardians to win the series, so I, I guess I have to take the Guardians in that one. Uh, you know, Cortez not quite as dominant in the second half. Still, you know, solid, but not not that dominant out of nowhere uh, guy. And then Bieber, pretty pretty solid uh, throughout the um, you know month of September, and then his one start against the Rays. So. Got to take him there. And then, you know, game two with McKenzie and Severino, you have to win these games. If you're Cleveland, there's no path to a win. Like Bieber and McKenzie, that has to be an automatic win. If that's not, you, you can't get there. And the Guardians were the hottest team coming into the series. That's all you're hearing about. Buster only had them either going to and or winning the World Series. Minimum going to the World Series. So many people drinking the punch. Well, the momentum that carried them into the postseason, that's gone because they've only scored, what, a combined four runs this postseason so far? So there's no offensive momentum here, so they got to figure it out. Three of the five of us had the Guardians winning it. You, myself, and Cody all picked Guardians in five. Jason, the lone man, picking Guardians in four. So he's, he's in a pickle here. Um, if, if the guardians don't win game two, I don't think the guardians are going to win three against New York. I think that'd be a miracle if they make it to five. Um, but Andrew lone guy Yankees in four. (laughs) So right now he's looking pretty good, at least for the first series. We'll see what happens, uh, later on. Um, Anything else you want to add for that one before we slide over to the other uh, matchup we have in the American League? I just agree that they won't string together three in a row if uh, they drop game two. They don't have their Kevin Millar, you know, and their Kurt Schilling and their, um, you know, Manny Ramirez for, you know, those flares for the dramatic. They don't don't have that don't let us win tonight guy down there. So I'm with you. It's just it's not there. Um, so the second series that we have, we've got the Mariners going up against the Astros. Mariners are just, uh, you got to feel for them. They're so close, but the Mariners right now find themselves down two games to none. They lost in the bottom of the ninth inning. Jordan Alvarez with a ridiculous set of two games of work right here. They lose seven, uh, eight to seven, and then they lose the second game four to two. How can you not feel for Seattle right now? They're down two games to none against, you said it, man, the Houston Astros. They've just been to, what, five straight ALCSs now? Five, yeah, absolutely. So this could potentially be six. They're a win away from making it another. So what what was your key takeaways from the first two games so far? Well, they the Astros tried to give them game one. I mean, Verlander didn't have it. 
and they're up. What was it? Six to was it six to one? It it was brutal. And you, you just touched up on the first point was Justin Verlander did not get the job done. And he almost single handedly blew the doors off for, for that uh, for that entire game. If the Houston Astros had generated some run support early on for Verlander, I actually would have thought, OK, this is going to be a, an interesting game. I at no point during the beginning of this game did I think that Houston was going to win this game. At no point. There was just absolutely no chance. Verlander looked like he was completely lost. It was 4 nothing after two innings. Houston came back with two. Then they allowed two more runs. So it's 6-2 to two going into the bottom of the fourth. You, you think it's done. Seattle's got their first one in there. They, they lost the division by 16 games to the Houston Astros. You're thinking everything that could possibly go right for Seattle is. And then Paul Sewald comes out, and then Robbie Ray comes out and just blows the, blows the door open for, for Houston to come in and, and really steal game one. I mean, it's seven to three yeah. after seven innings. Right. So seven to three, and then, um, you know, the Astros rally back with five runs in the last two innings. And, the um who is his name scott service the mariners uh, manager brought in robbie ray that's kind of been criticized a little bit you're bringing in a guy who has only had one relief appearance in his career that was all the way back in 2017 but he was one of two lefties in there and and came in for the ninth and it was specifically to face jordan alvarez and there were two outs in the inning, and you can't really – I mean, can you walk Alvarez and load the bases? Because there were runners on first and second. Can you do that? I mean, you're probably not anyway because you got the lefty-lefty matchup. I mean, that's why Ray is in there. Right, but, I mean, here's the thing. If you walk him twice, do you blow the, Do you lose both games? They did it in game two, and they paid for it. What were the odds that they're going to pay for it twice? I honestly feel like walking Jordan Alvarez would have been the right decision. But Paul Sewell, the, the closer for the Mariners, he's actually been rocked. He's given up, I believe, eight runs in his last three-plus innings. He's just not been getting the job done as the closer for the Mariners. The, the, the Mariners' bullpen, you, you can't – you can't fault them for having Robbie Ray in there because you just don't have that option. Jordan Alvarez is one of the best hitters when it matters the most. He went three for five in the first game, a home run and five RBIs. He's got two bombs and seven RBIs through the first two. And just, just from looking at it, Verlander had an ERA of 13-5. He should have been done. Houston was done. Rodriguez had a couple of hits. Ty France had three hits. The bullpen for Houston, three hits, one run, which was earned on that solo home run, five strikeouts, five innings. That's it. You could make a case right now that Seattle's up 2 nothing in the series, and, and we're looking at a major upset here. And then Alvarez, I mean, if first base was open, they the Mariners probably hang on. But because there were runners on first and second, service wanted the lefty-lefty, and it went over the fence. Alvarez crushed it. And I said right after, because this guy, I mean, this was a breakout year. He got a nice team-friendly extension 
uh, before the season started. I think it was a six-year deal in roughly the 120 million range. You know, basically what Ramirez got, you know, from the Guardians. But, but I I tweeted out. I said the Astros have their big poppy, and that's going to be Jordan Alvarez, and he's got a couple of signature moments here, albeit you know in the ALDS, but. When he starts having those in the ALCS and then in the World Series, man, this guy, this guy is going to be a god in Houston. Yep. If you look at his contract, the way that it's constructed, he signed a six-year extension per what you said. Incredibly team-friendly deal. One hundred and fifteen million over six years. That's less than twenty million per. So he's making seven million in twenty-three, ten million in twenty-four, fifteen million in twenty-twenty-five. And then 26, 27, and 2028, 20, he's making 26 million per. But you wanna you look at that structure, he's making 32 million over the next three years. That really helps Houston out for options down the line. And not, not, not that they go over the luxury tax, but it's gonna rise significantly over the next few years. Is there any options on that beyond uh, the sixth year? No? Okay. No, it's just uh, he's playing left field DH, but really he's he's their DH, and you already said it. Like they've got their their big poppy there, and it's it's not going to change. Jordan Alvarez, the last two years, has seventy homers and two hundred and one RBIs. He's he's going to be a lock for thirty five, one hundred, and hitting around three hundred. He hasn't played more than 144 games in a season, but you know when you're the DH, you don't have to really worry about it. He has these like kind of nagging injuries and whatnot that you have to be mindful of. But other than that, I mean, Jordan Alvarez is just a pure power hitter, and he's going to carry Houston. I mean, game two for Seattle, they, they threw up Luis Castillo, who hasn't been lights out. And Castillo, albeit did, did a pretty quality job considering – Seven innings, three runs allowed for a starter, not bad. Two of those were by way of the home run. Framber Valdez, almost a quality start, not as good as Luis Castillo. But again, Houston's bullpen, one hit allowed in three and a third. The ugly number, the four walks. But when you add it together, five and a third innings, four hits, eight strikeouts, four walks, and only one earned run in eight and a third innings. There's a reason why the Astros keep coming to the ALCS. I don't pick the Astros because I can't stand the Astros. Are the Astros going to advance? Probably. They're going to always find a way, and that's that's what good teams do. Good teams find a way to get by to the next round. And this is a clear-cut showing of why the Astros are the Astros. They won the most games in the American League. That wasn't by accident. Charlie and Cody, we're the only two that picked the Mariners. I picked them in five, Cody in four. Jason, bold man over there, Astros in three. Andrew and Terry, you both picked the Astros in four. Right now, only Cody uh, has a chance to to really be like wrong, wrong. He might have gotten the right team, but Mariners are going to win it in five if they're going to win it at all, or Jason's going to get it right, and we're, we're just going to be done with the second series in the American League. Unless there's anything else you want to add, we'll just slide over into the National League. Well, you got McCullers and Kirby going next. Uh, that's the only matchup I'm showing, and that could honestly go either way. The Astros really have been underperforming. Like it's it's been the Jordan Alvarez show so far. 
if this lineup wakes up, that's just nasty. And just one one question. If if the Astros and it's a big if and four teams could win the World Series and I wouldn't be shocked. You could you could make a bunch of cases. And but if the Astros win it, so that's six straight years to the ALCS or better, that would be their second ring in three World Series appearances. This is the closest to that Yankees dynasty in the mid to late 90s as you can get. It has to be, I feel like. Well, it's going to be, I think it's, it'd be unfair to not give them that credit, but at the same time, it's going to come with an asterisk. You have to put an asterisk next to it because, because of, of the 2017. Uh, yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, that's the thing is facts are facts and cheaters are going to be remembered as cheaters. No one even now looks at the Astros and thinks they're playing clean because the Astros are still raking. So whenever people face the Astros, it's they're facing the cheaters. Here come the garbage cans. And if you look on Twitter, people don't forget. In 20 years, people will remember the Houston Astros dynasty as the cheaters, not the team that threw three years in a row to get like multiple draft picks. Uh, the top draft pick, they got three number ones, I believe, in a row. And Carlos Correa was one of those three. Correa just opted out, so he's he's going to be a free agent this year. I don't think that was a big surprise after leaving Minnesota. Could anybody see him going back to, to Houston? I don't know. I mean, there's going to be a lot of question marks for this team in the future. But right now, it's it's really hard to 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 pray for a team facing facing the Astros because they're just that good, and it sucks because. When we did our preseason predictions, I can't pick the Astros. Everybody knows the Astros are going to do well. I just hate the Astros so much, I don't want to give them the, the benefit of the doubt there. I don't want to give them any extra credit. They didn't have a fall-off, though. Like, the the beat continued, so I give them credit for that. I mean, after 2018, I, I have no doubt that, you know, they've been playing cleanly, or at least within the, the accepted, you know, limits, because every team you know, is up to shenanigans, but, but as far as Correa, I'm going to say negative to Houston. I think Baltimore is the likely landing spot could be wrong, but there's a number of reasons. I believe that we'll get into that this winter, but you know who I think will be headed back to Houston. You're going to say, uh, the manager, aren't you? Yep. AJ Hinch, dusty, oh. dusty Baker has no, um, no contract going forward after this year. And I do think the owner likes him though, but here's the thing. Hinch does have one more year left on his deal in Detroit, but they've got a new GM coming in because Al Avila got fired. So right. that's a perfect opportunity for him to ask for a release. I think the incoming GM would love to have his own guy. And uh, I think I just feel like it's very ominous to me that Baker has no no contract for next season. I think Hinch is coming back, and I think Alex Cora kind of paved the way. Because how often does Cora get mentioned as a cheater? You you rarely ever hear that. That's fair. That's fair. You know. So I just I just feel like he's made the path for Hinch back to Houston a lot. Uh, you know, a lot less arduous or, or whatever. So 
going to be interesting. We'll see what happens because that would require uh, a, a break in the contract. So uh, we're going to slide over into the National League. This has been a little bit interesting. Uh, Phillies, versus, uh, Phillies versus the Braves here. Um, Philly won the first game, 7-6, and Atlanta came roaring back in game two after one moment. And I'm going to talk about that as my key play uh, if you don't already bring it up. Um, but the the Phillies have been outscored 9-7 to but still took game one. Uh, what were your takeaways from game one and game two? Anything in particular that stood out for you? Yeah, I was just surprised – they were able to pounce on Max Freed as effectively as they did. Um, who was it that hit the home run right away? In my notes here. Um, Are you talking about in the in the first game? Yeah. The, the first home run was Darno. No, was no, the, I mean for the Phillies. I didn't even write it down. For the Phillies, they had a bunch of singles and sacrifices. They didn't have any home runs. Oh, I thought game. somebody uh, tagged him for a home run. But yeah, uh, for the most part, though, I mean, they were just simply putting balls in play, just stringing them through the gaps. A couple, uh, one or two got pulled down the, the right field line. And they were simply, they weren't really stranding, you know, a lot of base runners. And um, Nick Castellanos, like you said, had the, had the big game there, uh, drove in three. And he gets a lot of flack for being a terrible defender. And he is a terrible defender. He's got like a negative almost two D war uh, last I checked. But in the ninth inning uh, with one out, he made a hell of a uh, diving catch to, um, you know, to kind of preserve the uh, the one run lead. So big, big game for for Castellanos. And that's a guy who I've been saying, and I'll say it 20 more times this winter, Hein Bloom should call up Dave Dombrowski and say, hey, man, we'll get you out of one of those big contracts. It could be Schwarber or Castellanos. I, I kind of prefer Castellanos and be like, just take the last two years of Chris Sale and we'll bail you out of one of those contracts. But I'll, I'll say this much when it came to Freed. I didn't think for one second, like I, was, I said Braves in three. I'm pretty sure that's what my take was. I have to double check that. I'm pretty sure I said Braves are going to win this one in three. Cody said Braves in four. Andrew Terry, Braves in four. Jason, the lone soldier who said Phillies in four. He looked like a genius after game one, but game two happened, and I think reality settled in for the Braves. Um, bold move. Max Fried's worst performance since that playoff game that we saw, opening day when he got shellacked for five runs and five and two thirds. So he decided to have his second worst appearance in the playoffs. And I feel bad for Freed because they tattooed him real quick, but he didn't do himself any favors. He gave up six runs and on eight hits and three and a third, two of those runs were unearned because of an error that he committed. So he just did not get the, the right. He's just, he it was just wasn't with it. He had a throwing error in the third inning, which allowed two runs to score. Castellanos, as you mentioned, did great. Olsen went yard. Travis Darneau had the home run for the for the Braves early on, had a great game. Ranger Suarez also didn't pitch that great. He allowed five walks, but they still were able to shut it down. Atlanta's bullpen, seven strikeouts in five and two-thirds innings to make it appear that Max Free didn't do as bad as he did. Like, very easily, if you don't look at the numbers, you'd assume that Free pitched fine and the bullpen blew it. Well, game two was completely different because Philly's batters one through six 
two for 22 with six strikeouts. And Kyle Wright struck out six and in six innings, allowing just two, those two hits. Absolutely on fire. Yeah, and it was just, I think they were all in, what, the fourth or fifth inning when those runs got scored in game two? S- sixth inning. And sixth that inning. All ha- yeah, and that all happened after Ronald Acuna got hit on the very first pitch. He got hit, and they sat at home plate. The raining of booze started coming, and it was bad. And let me tell you, when he when you saw him sitting there like, damn it, if he's out of this game, this is going to be a momentum changer for both the Phillies and the Braves. And what ended up happening right after that? Next batter gets on base with a walk. Then you see an RBI single, and then another RBI, and then another RBI. But that hit by pitch on the very first pitch, that changed the game. That changed the mindset. Atlanta's bullpen so far in eight and two-thirds, almost a full game of relief, have allowed five hits, one earned run, nine strikeouts. Incredible job by Atlanta's bullpen. It very well could be like Houston and Atlanta with dominant bullpens because you know the Dodgers have a great team. But as far as teams that are interesting, teams that haven't spent what feels like $500 million to put a team together, it's incredible what we're seeing from both of these clubs. It, honestly, I mean, if if the, rain, if the um, Phillies lose game one and the Braves are up 2-0, I'm not surprised. I'm really not surprised. Well, you picked a sweep, and I, I didn't really hate that pick. I just kind of – I wasn't as courageous, and I, I went with four games with Atlanta winning. Real quick on, on Freed, though, he did pitch twice to the Phillies very recently. One was on September 16, uh, six innings, uh, gave up just two earned runs. And then uh, six days later on the 22nd, pitched five innings, uh, only one earned run. So I think maybe the recency allowed them to make quick adjustments and they were just a little bit more prepared. And I think Freed kind of went into that a little bit of sleep at the wheel. So he, I, I don't know. The, these, this series is aligned weird. It's not the normal, the days off aren't like they uh, traditionally are. So I'm, I'm guessing he'll, He'll go at least one more. Um, well, maybe not. I guess if Atlanta can close it out in the next two games, that's not necessarily true. But um, but anyway, so that just with Freed, I just think a little bit of sleep at the wheel. Uh, another example is we were at the Garrett Cole game when uh, when he shut the Red Sox down and Avaldi got shelled. And what was it? Maybe a week and a half later was the wild card game. I think the Red Sox used that to kind of make quick adjustments and they were prepared and we won that wild card game. So same thing. Another thing I want to point out here, there's no doubt that Braves fans miss Freddie Freeman, but Matt Olson is, is pulling his weight. He's not letting playing under the shadow of Freddie Freeman bother him. I mean, a three-run shot in the ninth inning of game one. They came up a run short and lost the game anyway, but he gave him a chance. Like, he came through in a big moment. And then he did drive in one of the three runs in game two. So another guy that's just really, really living up to his contract and... I think Alex Anthopoulos, the Atlanta Braves GM, he's by far, it's not even close, he's number one of all major league uh, GMs. Just absolutely brilliant. Show me a bad contract on that Braves team. Show me one. 
Yeah, he's he's able to. You can't do it. And yeah. even if you try to pull one that was lackluster, there's about seven or eight that are like, <laughs> "Wait, how did you do that? How did you sign him for that much money?" And they just did this. They just made another one with Spencer Strider. Yeah, like just like incredible moves. I, I think you're absolutely right. You hit the nail on the head with that one. If anyone were to try to make a case for anybody else, it would it would be interesting. But there's there's factually just no other team that can. Um, there's really no other team that has a GM that can do that. It's just, it's impossible. I mean, Houston tried to do that by signing Alvarez to that seven sub one twenty mil, but one contract doesn't add up to seven or eight that the Braves have. So you you, you nailed it right on. Yeah, I uh, mean, I, I there are, there are definitely some good ones uh, around the league, but it's just it's undisputed. I mean, Friedman in in LA would probably be number two, I guess, but. Um, they don't really have many um, bad contracts at all, really, and their development is just so strong as well. So a lot of a lot of homegrown guys, but but yeah, and I mean, uh, do we have the matchups yet? Well, we got Aaron Nola pitching Game Three for the Phillies. I do not have a listed starter because they went freed and then they went right, and the Braves have two pitchers in between there. You got Charlie Morton and Spencer Strider. Strider's got the green light now. Oh, so he's, I'm, he's going uh, next. I think I'm pretty sure it would make the most sense. And then have Charlie Morton go fourth. It's going to be a little bit of an interesting invert. Uh, Cause Morton was listed second on their depth chart, but Morton's been getting destroyed. He had an awful month of September. He lost uh, one game in that month, but he had an ERA of 5.27. So, I'm not really I'm not really too thrilled about that look. Spencer Strider, the the newest brave to get a ridiculous contract, he's just lights out. I mean, he had a 1.8 ERA in the last month of the season, a 2.73 the month before that. He had a ridiculous year. He had 202 strikeouts in 131 innings. That's insane when you think about it. This is a guy who's only pitched two seasons. Last year, two games. That's it. And he went 1-0 in two and a third innings. He didn't even start. That's how incredible Spencer Strider has been. And Strider has been on fire. Also, the stat I pointed out last show, only seven home runs in 131 innings. He keeps it in the park. So yep. just absolutely. And the, I don't think the balls have been insanely juiced this year. I think home runs are down. But, man, I, I what I wouldn't do to have a have a guy like that in our rotation and don't get me wrong I'm, I'm excited about Bayo, but we got we got so much work to do in boston and you just look at what these clubs are doing year after year and the braves are just always in the in the thick of it and it it, it doesn't seem like anyone's ever under any pressure like brian snicker is going to manage that team as long as he wants to do it and he's, right. I think he's like 67, 68. And I, I know Baker is, you know, mid 70s at this point. And Larusa, you know, that, that didn't go well. But, um, but yeah. So it's just, it's just a very unique fan base. And man, that crowd is electric every, every time. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's going to be an interesting one to uh, continue watching. And that's going to bring us to our fourth and final one for tonight. And that's going to be between the Padres and the Dodgers. Each team has won their game five to three. So after two, we sit here, eight runs apiece, 
one win apiece. Was there anything in particular that stood out for you in this in those two games? Uh, well, I mean, it's definitely been the most competitive series and, um, the, the Padres had to beat Kershaw. I mean, they, they can't go down Oh two. And, um, I just feel like, you know, they've been walking the tightrope and just kind of, you know, matching the Dodgers tit for tat. Hater came in and did his job. I mean, he got a little bit dicey there with two outs because there was a runner in scoring position with the tying run at the plate. But um, I, this Padres team, they give zero Fs, zero Fs about the situation they're in, who they're playing, the fact they're playing a team that what won what, 110, 112 games, something ridiculous. Um, they, they don't care. And a lot of guys that, really didn't have great seasons are the ones stepping up, you know, Trent uh, Grisham, uh, Cronenworth and Manny Machado is having a great season. I've, I think I've said it recently on the show. I'm not saying I'm a Machado fan, but I'm softened up. I'm, I'm softened up a little bit. Like I respect his leadership and, and the impact he's, he's made on them younger players. Um, yeah. but it's just, I, it's been an exciting series and I, I think I can't wait to see the rest of it. Well, I'll say this much. I thought the series was over after game one third inning Dodgers are up five zero. They are absolutely tuning Mike Clevenger who got absolutely slapped this. It, it just looked done. And, and, you know, three of the four of us, we said Dodgers in four, uh, Andrew and you, said Padres in five. So we're going to leave that one there. The The takeaways for me in this one, as far as game one was concerned, Clevenger got rocked. Trey Turner, Will Smith did fantastic. The bullpen in LA is insane. I, this is, it's it should be Braves and Dodgers. Like Braves and Dodgers in the National League would be an incredible finale. Why? Well, you got elite bullpen, elite bullpen. Elite offense, elite offense. Great starters, great starters. And you have the Freddie Freeman saga dangled in between both of those two teams. That is so interesting. The key play in the first game, it kind of ran away, but it was Will Smith's RBI double in the third to put the game away. In the second game, I'd never heard so many boos when Manny Machado comes up. In fact, I don't know if there's a player that gets booed more than Manny Machado in L.A. And everyone, of course, remembers him in Los Angeles for his brief cup of coffee and him taking a genuflecting knee when Chris Sale struck him out to end the World Series for the Dodgers, or World Series winning hopes for the Dodgers. You Darvish got tuned in the second game. Freddie Freeman came out and did what he does. Another home run, another double. Kershaw fell apart. But again, Dodgers bullpen. Four innings of relief, two runs on three hits, seven strikeouts. The key play in this game was Bruzdar, the Buffalo Gratterall, throwing out Will Myers at home on a perfect dime strike at the dish to take out, uh, again, Will Myers from a Grisham bunt. Had he not gotten that play down, I believe the Padres would have been tied 4-4. So it gave, it really gave, um, or would have put, excuse me, it wouldn't have been 4-4 because I believe the Dodgers, the Dodgers were losing by 
Yeah, it was, four, it was four three at the time. It was four three. It would have been five three. So that's what it was. Um, it would have gotten a little further out of reach. But that to me was at least the moment where they had a chance. They had a chance to get it done. But Dodgers are going to continue making it interesting. A lot of no-show performances from the Dodgers, though. Mookie Betts, everybody remembers him in Boston. He's one for eight in the series so far. That's not going to cut it. I'm sorry. But it cannot fall solely on Trey Turner, Freddie Freeman, and Will Smith. You need Mookie Betts to be regular season Mookie Betts. Red Sox fans know what Mookie Betts does in the playoffs. Dodgers fans haven't really gotten accustomed to it yet. (laughs) They really don't know. We're used to it. One for eight, that's a pretty good series for Mookie. But he's going to need a really big showing in game three. I'm talking three for four, two homers, three RBIs, maybe a stolen base, a couple of runs scored. He needs to make this series worth it because Dodgers fans are not going to be happy seeing Mookie Betts going 0 for 4, 1 for 4 with a strikeout and nothing else to show for it. It's not acceptable. You can't have it. And also, another kind of key play uh, in Game 2, Trey Turner kind of booted what looked to be a routine grounder. Would have been a double play. Inning would have ended. Game still would have been tied. So it would have been interesting to see which way the game went. It's hard to get on Turner, though, because he's been one of their primary, you know, offensive uh, contributors. So, um, but definitely a costly play that very well could have cost them that game. I mean, like I said, Dodgers are up two nothing. It's over. Preller's getting fired uh, on Friday, you know, or whatever day, Saturday. (laughs) Yeah. The rumors are coming out on Thursday. You're absolutely right. And I can't wait for him to get fired. uh, I don't know if he does, if he beats the Dodgers though. I mean, if, if you beat the Dodgers, you should, you should keep your job. But Preller, I mean, Juan Soto looks lost. I mean, he's still doing this little like thing when he gets into the like at the dish when a ball comes up, he slides towards the mound like he's doing something, and he's got one of the ugliest batting stances ever, where his knee is pointed in, his ankles pointed like out, his heels out, and it's uh, the way it was described to me uh, was it looks like a softball swing. Like this isn't softball, Juan. What are you doing? And Juan Soto is also not doing his team any justice. One for five in game two. He had an 0 for three in game one. He's one for eight, too. Yeah, he's also So you've got Soto and Mookie Betts combined, two for 16, with nothing, nothing, a run scored. That's it. You can't, like, it's just, um, uh, it's remarkable that um, Jake Cronenworth has done more damage for the Padres than Juan Soto. And Drake Cronenworth's home run was nothing to like frown at. That was a bomb to deep right field that went over 415 feet. Like that was a moonshot. Uh, people can say whatever they want. Alvarez hit a missile in Houston. Cronenworth hit a moonshot. As soon as it left the bat, you can just tell when some balls leave, the sound and just the direction, it's gone. You don't even have to look at it, you know. And that was one of those. Yeah, a couple other things here. So if if it goes Braves-Dodgers, that'll be the third straight year in the Correct. NLCS. So uh, another thing, too, I occasionally, I, I, I should watch it more than I do because I, I DVR it, but um, high heat with Chris Mad Dog Russo and Alana Rizzo. 
It's kind of a good show. They get into some intense debates, but the the guests they bring on are always good, you know, managers and and whatnot and executives, you know, like Bloom and Anthopolis and all that. But she said something interesting. And before I do, let me just ask you this question. Is there a legitimate rivalry between the Dodgers and the Padres? It's a, an interesting question. It's a great one because that's going to be something that I, I want to talk about in the near future. The Padres had so many opportunities to be a formidable foe to the Dodgers. You can say they're a fun team to face because of all of the talent there, but in less than two years, this Padres team could be blown apart. Manny Machado could opt out in less than two years. I think he has an opt out at the end of 24, if I'm not mistaken, or 23. I'd have to look at it. Juan Soto, I don't know what they're going to be able to give him to have him stay there, but he is not comfortable in San Diego. He's not doing what they expected him to do. Juan Soto right now, I'm going to look it up right now as we speak because I'm curious to know exactly how poorly he did. He hit 236 when he joined the Padres. Six home runs, 16 RBIs in 52 games. Multiply that by three. Give him his full season. 18 homers, 48 RBIs from Juan Soto in San Diego. That's unacceptable. You can't live on that. It's just there's so much wrong with that. This is three years from when he had 34 homers and 110 RBIs as a 20-year-old. It's like Juan Soto was 26 pretending to be 19, and now it's like he's already on the downcline of his career. Juan Soto fell apart this year for the Padres. There was an opportunity to say that if if he really carried the Padres, that this team could have been good. But how many moves has Preller made to add pitchers that haven't worked out? Blake Snell, he's not getting it done. Mike Clevenger, he's not getting it done. Hugh Darvish, he's not going to want to stay. Josh Hader fell apart at first. So there was so much like, wait, why is it all going wrong in San Diego? What are they doing? Are they tipping pitches? Are the hitters not feeling comfortable? Manny Machado's having no problem. He's he's the leader in that team, whether you want to admit it or not. He's doing absolute work. Can you call them the direct rival to the Dodgers? I'm sorry, you can't. There's really only one team that you can. Yeah, and they have they do have a longstanding rivalry with the Giants, but um, so that that's basically what they were talking about on high heat. And Alana Rizzo was the one who really gave the take. And she was a on-field reporter with the Dodgers for a while. So kind of like the Garen Austin of uh, the Dodgers. And she says it's, it's not a rivalry right now because the Padres haven't done anything. They haven't won anything against the Dodgers. They get beat during the season. They lose the season uh, series. They haven't beat them in the playoffs. So for that to like blossom into a rivalry, they need to come up big here. And I still think the 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 Padres will will win. I, I really believe that. Um I just think they're kind of firing on all cylinders and you're gonna need a, you know another big game out of uh Blake Snell. Um, and, and the rest of the guys, Clevenger had a, had a nine something ERA coming into the series. So, um, it, it, it shouldn't be a shock to everyone that, that he got thumped the way that he did. I'm trying to pull up the matchups. Yeah. I got them right here. So, uh, 
yeah, I guess we only have uh, the next game. That's going to be Tony Gonzalez versus Blake Snell. And Snell didn't look terrible uh, in the previous series against the Mets. I think they did end up losing that game, but um, not not a bad performance from him. And then game four, they're listing Tyler Anderson as the starter. So I, I guess it's not listed yet, but they have to go Musgrove in game four. I agree with you on that one. I, I don't think it's going to be anyone else, and I think it sets it up perfectly for for uh, Julio Urias to close it out in Game Five for the Dodgers when it's back at Dodger Stadium. I, there's no one else that you can you can put in there. Um, I think that they're going to have you know enough time for him to be to be ready. Clevenger again. I don't think you start him. Oh. I think you I think you start Darvish on four days rest and you have him go and, and see what he can do in Game Five. You have to put your best pitcher on game five games. You have to. Game seven, you have to put your best. Game five, you have to put your, your best. This is it. It's it's winner go home. And the Dodgers are in much better shape than the Padres are right now as it stands. Tony Gonsolin is just coming back from having a shoulder injury. But I would still take Tony Gonsolin at 60% over Blake Snell at full bore power. Tony Gonsolin went 16-1 and one this year. And he was a reliever for the last month of the season. So, um once he came back, he's he's feeling it. I don't know how long Tony Gonson's going to go. I'm really not sure. But still, even if he doesn't go out and, and do lights out, I still have faith that he's going to do better than Blake Snell. I just don't think that um, Snell is going to be able to handle the pressure when it matters the most. We can say whatever we want about the fact that he closed out the season in a, in a relatively good performance. People forget the last time he got his ass whooped was against the Dodgers. He got destroyed. He gave up five runs and four innings of work in early September. And that was his last thumping, as you like to say, Terry. <laughs> yes, I, a- I really, you know, like I really don't have faith in Blake Snell. I really, really don't. Well, if you go back to July 1st, five innings, only one earned run, struck out 12. Where did that come from? And then his most recent start, which was his second to last of the season, uh, went five innings uh, against the Dodgers, scoreless in that one. So they're probably going to be prepared, you know, like some other teams have been, like the the Phillies were against Freed. So Snell has to be has to be on his game. But if he comes out of this with a win, oof, that's tough. That's going to be tough for the Dodgers. Um, We'll see. I think the the Padres definitely regret uh, that trade, but I want to point out one thing. And and right now it's a huge if. It's a huge if. It's it's a big hypothetical. But if the Padres beat the Dodgers, and then they beat presumably the Braves, and they win the World Series, how dumb. Does that Fernando Tatis Jr. contract look? Sign a guy for $365 million. He didn't play for you. He was dead money, and you won without him, and now you're stuck paying him. I think he's going to be a dud. I think this it's not going to be a Pablo Sandoval bad contract or a Prince Fielder bad contract, but it's going to be a bad contract. It's going to be a Jason Hayward contract. That's what it's going to be. That's what this guy's going to be without the juice. So I'm going to say this much, and I'm going to leave it on that one. If the Dodgers do not win the World Series for the next five years, 
The only reason why that's not possible is because of the Houston Astros. And here's why. The Dodgers made one of the biggest mistake trades ever. Jordan Alvarez, bye-bye. That will go down as one of the biggest whoopsies of all time. Do you remember what that trade was? No, I was just going about to ask. So, so Jordan Alvarez, because I, I remember reading about it. Um, oh, God, I think it was earlier this year about what the trade looked like when it happened. And I actually did not know that he ended up getting traded. So when I was talking about it, I said, well, what was the trade for? He was traded in 2016 for Josh Fields. Josh Fields is an absolute nobody now. He was there for two years, and after 2018, done. So you gave up Jordan Alvarez in 2016, albeit Jordan Alvarez was unheard of. He didn't make his major league debut until, I think, 2019. So they gave up a one-for-one. He was a 19-year-old player at the time, and they got Josh Fields out of it. That's it. So they gave up Jordan Alvarez for a reliever. Not nearly as bad as trading away Jeff Bagwell for Larry Anderson, but still, ouch. I, so, it could be. It could look like one of the worst trades ever if like, he does kind of reach that big poppy status. I got one of the articles up. I'm just curious to see where he might have ranked in their system, but it, it doesn't. It doesn't say, and when you're only actually Alvarez was 19 at the at the time of the trade, um, right? Yeah, I just I wish uh, I could figure out where he was ranked, but I'm not gonna. I'll spend all night looking for it. But yeah, so uh, sneaky good. I mean, the I just you know I just made fun of him, but. The Padres got Tatis for for James Shields, like you know, that's a hell of a return. But absolutely. So that's it for our recaps post game two. We're going to be doing another show in a couple of days when the series have come to a conclusion. Terry, I want to thank you for coming on and joining me this this evening, and uh, we will uh, talk soon with the. Uh, probably the rest of the guys and we'll see everybody again real soon. Have a great night. Take care.